Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Brian Piergrossi. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Rick. Great to be here. Brian lives in the Asheville area, right? That's correct. It's a hotbed of spirituality. <laughs> I can't wait to get down there. I mean, I know so many people down there. <clears throat> yeah. That's Asheville, North Carolina, for those of you who don't know your U.S. geography. And uh, there's a lot of details on the bio page of your website. I thought that rather than reading them, I would just have you kind of introduce yourself, and we'll probably cover a lot of these points in, in the course of the interview. Uh, so how would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, it's an interesting. I was just, I was just, um, I was, uh, as you were researching me, I was researching you a little bit yesterday, looking at some of the little bit of the, not, not in the, in that, in the beyond the show, but in the listening to some of the, the archives of the show and so forth. There was an interesting question that you brought forth um, with one of the guests, which was, do you share the story of yourself and your life, or do you say that you know I'm not the story of my life and not my life, and kind of, and that's that's the question that I always kind of look at and 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 play with, and um, so. I'll share the story of my life and also say that there's there's something that's, you know, beyond the story and really realize that the story is just a story. And mm-hmm. and then there's so many different ways of um, framing the story and, and which aspects of the story to highlight and not to highlight. But the way I, 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 I point toward as far as when the major shift came for me was um, when I was 20 years old, I had um, an illness that, was, that came on um, suddenly and... Um, strongly and didn't go away and and actually got progressively worse and I wasn't really getting any kind of real answers from the medical establishment as far as what was happening with me and you know at that age there's there's all sorts of dreams and ideas about what your life is going to be like and all these things that you're going to do and and there's kind of this kind of real um, awakening in the sense that all that's not true, that none of that actually seems to be the way things are going now, and I just thrown this absolute curveball, which made me um, question, made me question everything, made me question, um, you know, life itself, and why does it seem like everything that I've been told isn't true and isn't working out that way, and, and why am I suffering, and what is the cause of suffering, and why are human beings suffering, and so there was this really strong... Um, uh, I felt like there was no choice. Like I, I had to find out these answers for myself, first and foremost. And um, one good thing about um, having an illness, which I've talked to some other people that have been in this situation, is you do have a lot of time because there's not much else you can do. <laughs> so there was an opening for reading and you know journaling and um, things that I was able to do, and it really gave me a chance to really explore. Um, these answers for myself, and it became my one point of intention to find out the answers to these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Um, what is the cause of suffering? And um, started to realize pretty quickly the the mind-body connection, which was a real opening for me. So there was this, this realization that physical suffering that I was feeling was connected to the way I was thinking, the way I was thinking about myself and thinking about the world. And that opened up this whole whole Realm, this whole other realm, an exciting realm for me, and opened me up to some of the teachings of the East, and um, it all progressed forward from that point. Hmm. Seriously, I can think of a number of examples of people who went through serious illnesses and and came out the other side, having awakened, or you know, hmm. with with this big shift. Like Saint Francis of Assisi is a famous example. Came back from the Crusades and got really sick, and then you know if you ever saw Brother Sun Sister Moon, and then he came yeah, out of, yeah. came out of his sickness, 
And, yeah. you know, it was a big, you know, epiphany had happened. And I interviewed a guy named Doc Roberts a couple of years ago who was um, put in an induced coma for a couple of weeks because he had this really serious lung surgery. And when he came out from the coma, he discovered, I mean, he had awakened in the spiritual sense. Everything had shifted. And then there was that guy who's famous in Thailand who was slipped a poison candy by a would-be thief and nearly died and, and you know, went unconscious. And, and somehow or other that, uh, you know, when he came out of that, there was an awakening. So it seems like sometimes either a, a serious illness is some kind of final purgative or there's some sort of you know burning off of karma or something that you know sometimes people come out having really shifted significantly yeah even in a deeper sense i totally agree and then you know if when i explore people you know what caused you to to start the spiritual search or what caused you to go on this journey to to discover you know yourself the essence of who you are the answer is pretty much universal um, there may be some exceptions, but but generally speaking, the answer is suffering. Yeah, yeah. You know, suffering is what is what propelled me forward, and so it's it's good to have that perspective because you realize it's it's all not for naught. You know, there there is a reason. There is this this it's 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 pulling you. It's it's calling you in a in a direction to to find something greater than what you see currently. Mm. It's said in some traditions that the angels don't have really the motivation for enlightenment because they're enjoying so much. You know, where yeah. they are, they, there's no impetus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, do you, are you saying that you kind of went through a phase where you were still really sick, but you were searching like a son of a gun, investigating all kinds of things? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was a sense of you know whatever that was my that was what my life was dedicated to from that point. So, and at that point, it didn't feel like there was a lot of um, people that. I could turn to that had the answer to the questions that I had. Mm -hmm. um, this is before YouTube and the proliferation of the internet and the way it's it is now. So yeah. it, it was a lot of reading. It was books. It was going to the library and finding what I could find, and and, and a lot of that time. Um, it wasn't until later that I able to started to connect with some actual human beings that um, seemed to be on the same path and exploring some of these same questions and having some some answers to the questions. Yeah. We, I, I presume you weren't in Asheville at the time. I was not. Because if it had been, like, you know, you, everywhere, yeah. everybody you bump into is <laughs> yeah. from what the impression I got. Yeah. Um, so how long did this sickness phase go on, from the age of 20 till what? That's a good question. Um, it, it got progressively better, mm -hmm. and I was taking this holistic approach, so it was sort of... Um, you were doing all kinds of healing modalities. <laughs> exactly, exploring yeah. all kinds of things. So I was exploring things... You know, as far as that goes, too, all kinds of different, you know, uh, opening up to um, acupuncture and meditation and yoga and um, whatever I could find, I would try it, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a sort of guinea pig for all sorts of holistic modalities. I, I, I was kind of decided that um, the, 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 the route of um, prescription drugs and that stuff wasn't where I wanted to go, and so I was just exploring all these holistic modalities. So um, I mean I, I mean really like like ten years or so, um, but it was but it would you know progressively better and better. So where in the beginning I was essentially bedridden for six months or so. Now I'm I'm functioning and I'm I'm in the world, but I would have you know little setbacks here and there, and um, maybe not quite feeling 100 percent op, uh, optimal. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was, but but that, that's yeah I would say about that length of time. 
kind of came to mind just now Ajashanti's story where he talks about how he had been this competitive bicycle racer and then he got really sick and it knocked him flat and um, he couldn't do it anymore and you know then he he and obviously he was also a spiritual aspirant at the same time and you know he had this kind of a series of awakenings and then as soon as he got healthy he started getting back into the competitive bicycle racing <laughs> and then boom it knocked him flat yeah. he finally kind of got the message that this is not what you're supposed to be doing with your life not that there's anything wrong with competitive bicycle racing but for, in his case uh, it's like nature was whacking him with you know a stick to say change direction buddy yeah, yeah. well that's a great point and that's what I, that's what I started to, to learn is that yeah, you know, the body, our emotions, our thoughts, they're, they're giving us signals. They're, they're telling us what direction to go. They're telling us if we're going too far this way or we should be going this way instead. And it's sort of like the more you wake into the moment, you know, the more the, yeah, that present awareness is like, well, I need to listen or I want to listen mm -hmm. to, to what, I'm, what I'm being guided here and not getting the, you know, when you're in the ego, it's just resistance and wanting to fight. No, I'm not going to give into this emotion or this body. You know, it's this, this struggle against yourself and against life and, and instead it's the awakening to flowing with life and those signals can be can be start to become more and more subtle where you can just move with um, where you're being guided when it's you know when you're being told to slow down or speed up or move left or right yeah it's a good point yeah so uh, so you went through this decade or so of uh, you know gradually getting better and investigating all sorts of things and and uh, I suppose in the course of this, you weren't just investigating health-related things. You began investigating spiritual practices and getting more and more interested in enlightenment and awakening and so on, right? Well, that well, that came pretty quickly. I mean, oh, that, okay. that's like I as soon as I realized. In fact, I remember. It's funny you say that. I remember I heard about enlightenment. I heard the term. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's what I want. I, yeah, I yeah. want to be the chance to go beyond suffering altogether. And let's go. For, let's go for the whole thing, you know, instead of just trying to, you know, piecemeal it. So yeah, that came pretty quickly, and I, that that was what my my focus was toward um, from that point forward, and you know, studying what I could study um, in regards to it. So what did you study? And what so you, and, and, and what had what was of significance to you? Yeah, so a lot. Pretty much, it was kind of whatever I could find, which then would lead to what you know would come next. Um, so I remember I I heard something about I kept hearing about yoga, yoga, yoga. And um, and it was something significant was in it for me. That I was supposed to follow something. So um, I found some old book on yoga and you know Swami such and such, and started reading that and hearing about enlightenment. And and uh, then I found a yoga teacher where I, where I grew up, um, which was uh, outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. And um, then that led me to um, at that time they they had a group that was meeting weekly. That was watching videos of Andrew Cohen, which I know you've had on your on your show. So I was going to that, and it, everything you know would lead to different parts, um, but so, some different signposts that really stand out to me. That was for, you know big big ones or memories was Nisargadatta. Um, I am that was was a big one. I've been carrying that every everywhere I went for like a year or two. <laughs> every day reading it, reading it to friends who didn't know what I was what I was talking about, but they were you know they pretended they did. And uh, so that was a big shift, and then um, really was into Krishnamurti for a couple of years as well. Just kind of, you know, kind of just almost one pointed into him and his writings and his videos, and and then um, lots of other people too. But those two stand out. And then the third one that would stand out prominently towards the end of, that, of the search would be Eckhart Tolle mm -hmm. and and his his stuff. Yeah, well. and uh, so you know, obviously. As you were doing this, there was the whole seeker mentality, uh, mm -hmm. and um, 
did you find that at a certain point, uh, you know, the seeker mentality relaxed and you, you f there was a sense of having found? Or, or was yes. It, and, and was it a subtle shift that you couldn't quite pinpoint, or was there an abrupt transition at some point? Well, as far as what I was, what I was uh, looking at and studying and reading, I have to give credit to um, actually Yuji Krishnamurti for that phase. Hmm. I was reading his stuff, and there was this whole thing about, you know, the... You know, basically the point of you don't need to seek a light, you don't need to search for it, and um, it just kind of opened up something in me. Uh, whatever, for whatever reason, it was the point where I was at where something something clicked, and um, so that was helpful. Um, reading his his book called The Mystique of Enlightenment at that time, um, but yes, I do I do know that 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 phase, and that was in my early 30s, where the sense of like, yeah, the search there's nothing to search for, the search is over, and um, Yes, I am that. We are that. This is it. Hmm. And that was when that you had this realization? Uh, like in the early 30s, early 30s. How old are you now? I just turned 39. Okay. So, you know, maybe eight years ago or seven years ago or something like that. And uh, so what's been going on since the conclusion that the search is over? Well, life definitely continues uh, <laughs> for sure. Um I like to look at two different aspects of life. So, there, and I think a lot of teachings miss this. They kind of focus on one without the other. So, there's the realization of your of oneself beyond the realm of space and time. Mm -hmm. You know, the essence of who we are, which doesn't change the same as it was five years ago, as now, as five years from now, um, after we die, before we're born, etc. And then there's the re the realization of who we are within the realm of space and time. You know the progressive evolution of consciousness as we as we are in the realm of times so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 2013, 14, 15, and so 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 that realm beyond space and time doesn't change, and there's that realization. But then there's the realm within space and time, and there's all sorts of things growing and changing and continuing to evolve in one's consciousness on that realm. So so that definitely um, continues. And it's just uh, you know participating fully and, and, and appreciating and enjoying the journey on that realm. That's very well put, and it's a, a frequent theme in these shows um, because you know I can agree with people who's, who say at one you know, who might say, "Oh, well, the search is over, and there's nothing more to gain, and so on." But as you've already alluded to a number of times, there are levels to life, and that's that may be true on one level, but there's a uh, you know there are other levels <laughs> on which that will never be true. I, I came across a great um, quote by Adyashanti just recently. Uh, he said, "Even now with me, the mystery is just beginning, always, <laughs> always still beginning." Yeah. And I would consider him a very advanced soul. Sure. Um, I mean, Saint uh, Saint Teresa of Avila said of God, uh, "It appears that even God is still on the journey." You know. Uh -huh. So, uh, and you know to un well, you can probably riff on, on the implications of that, so maybe I'll try to talk a little less and, and let you kind of give me your impressions well, of yeah, those well, statements. Yeah, sure. Well, there's two things. So learning, I mean, if you're not learning, you're, you're dead. You know, and learning is really the joy of life. You can be learning each day. And to go back to Krishnamurti, I remember Krishnamurti speaking about, you know, you should always be learning. Every moment you're learning. You know, that's, that's, that's being present. That's being in the moment. It's continually being a space of innocence of of. of like a newborn baby, you know, you're learning, like you're seeing something for the first time. So, so that's the real joy of life: is continuing to be learning 
every day, and it, the shift is now it's not from a place of, of lack, a place that I'm trying to, you know, there's some hole in me that I'm trying to fill to, of, of who I thought I, you know, I'm this, this little ego that needs this, this to gratify myself or have some sense of self-worth or sense of self-love. You realize who you are and the essence of who you are, so it's not coming from a place of lack, and, and um, it's coming from a place of, of wholeness. And that's, that's the difference. Very well put. Yeah. Um, I think that's such an important point. It, it bears some discussion. Um, because, you know, it may appear to be uh, that someone is still seeking, but it could very well be. That, but this, it's just a matter of connotation and, and definition, really, because seeking does imply lack. I'm seeking something which I don't have. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, once that sh- shift has, has taken place, a better word might be exploring or discovering and all. And, you know, one can explore and discover endlessly on the platform of fulfillment. I think exploring and discovering, uh, yeah, I like those, I like those, that terminology, and I feel like that's the, really the fulfillment of life, is exploring and discovering, and in the world of form, it's constantly changing and constantly moving. In the, in the realm of formlessness, there's nothing changing or moving, but in the world of form, you know, every moment is new, and so to be in the space of exploring and discovery opens you to, 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 the, to what's new, which is always right now, and then opening to the flow of continually opening yourself to what's new in the world of form, in the realm of consciousness, in the realm of time and space. Yeah, and, um, and the nature of the topic we're discussing is, you know, it, it pertains to that level of life which is complete and perfect in and of itself. So when we, t- when we speak of exploring discovering it doesn't mean that okay now I'm gonna get a PhD in astrophysics and now I'm gonna go get become an MD and now I'm gonna get a PhD in philosophy you know it's not like in the relative world there are probably an infinite number of lifetimes one could spend learning all the little details of mm-hmm. everything so we're not suggesting that I don't think but we're suggesting that the um, exploration can be in terms of the the juxtaposition of the absolute and the relative, or the infusion of the absolute into the relative, and you know how uh, how refined and, and uh, capable an instrument we can become for the expression of that. Wouldn't you say? I, I think that's very well said. I like that a lot. We should we should record that and share that everywhere in the <laughs> on the internet. Take <laughs> a little edit that part out. Um, yes, yes. The, the the embodiment, the integration. The, the consciousness. So there's, there's, you know, the infinite is not a thought, which we can get more into that because I think that's a big misperception that people have. It's not a feeling. It's not a thought. It's not an experience. But then how does it, how does it inform your thoughts and your feelings and your, and your experiences? That's the consciousness that you're um, relating to this dimension of, of reality. And, and, it's, and it's, yeah, it's an exciting, endless exploration that's not coming from a place of lack now, it's coming from a place of joy and a place of, of play, ultimately. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And when you say the infinite is not a thought, it kind of reminds me of the whole theme of, you know, really experiencing what we're talking about versus conceptualizing it. And we're not talking really, we're not, we're playing with concepts here, but the significant thing is not the concepts, it's the ex- actual living experience to which they point. Yeah, it's, it's recognizing that whatever changes is not the essence of oneself. Mm-hmm. You know, so that includes feeling. So this is a big misperception that I find with people that are 
spiritual seekers is they, well, I had this experience, you know, I had this experience, and I want to get back to that experience, you know, I want to, and, and this is what their, 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 their motivation is to get back to this experience that they've had, or this feeling that they've had, you know, and it's the realization that that experience is over, and it's not coming back, that's in the past, and it's dead, um, but there's experience right now, and this experience is, is it, and this experience is always it. And the, the formlessness, the essence of who we are, is always, is always here at the backdrop of whatever experience, whatever feeling, whatever thought is happening right now. So it's really just blowing our minds open and our consciousness open as to what we think um, it's supposed to be like. Um, a friend of mine said recently, whatever you think it's supposed to be like, it's not. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just really opening to what's here. And, the, little, and, the little blurb on my Skype idea is whatever you think, it's more than that. Yeah, I saw that. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah, what you said just said kind of reminds me of like, let's say you're sitting watching a movie, um, Argo. I saw Argo recently, a great movie. I, it's like while I was watching Argo, I wasn't thinking, geez, I really wish this were Avatar. I'd like to get back to watching Avatar, you know? Cause I was exactly. So, so it's like the experiences keep rolling, but there's kind of an underlying foundation to them all. In, in every case, let's say if you're in a theater, it's the movie screen. You know, there's this movie screen, and, the, but the, and that's always the same, but the, the movies playing on it keep changing. Yeah, and if you're fully in the moment, 100%, that's the oneness. That's when there's no separation, there's no division, there's no barrier, there's no resistance. So to fully give yourself to this moment is the realization and the embodiment of Whatever, whatever's happening at this moment. So it's an unconditional relationship with the moment, which really then means an unconditional relationship with life, because life is, is now. Yeah. Um, but somehow I feel we have to emphasize the importance of awakening that underlying field that doesn't change, you know, because without that, um, you know, living in the moment just means tossing about on the surface of the ocean, you know, there's this wave, and there's this wave, and there's this wave, without kind of any anchor or stability. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what, of course, most people in the, in the world do. They're just kind mm -hmm. of living from moment to moment, very often thinking about the past and future, mm -hmm. but just, you know, caught up in the waves of change without any underlying foundation that you've been referring to as a state of fulfillment or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of some stable basis. But yeah, so what I see is there's a point where those two meet. Yeah. So if you're completely in the flow of life, paradoxically, you're completely in the stillness of life because there's no, there's no resistance to um, rattle the stillness. You know, so, so they, there's, they're actually, you, you can look at it from either angle and different teachings can look at it from different angle, but it amounts to the same place you're talking about. So if you're completely surrendered to the flow of life, you, in a sense, are in a space that's unchanging, right? Because there's no, there's no sense that, oh, I don't want to feel sadness right now, or I don't want to feel happiness right now, or I don't want to. There, there's no you to to create a separate identity that that creates that that um, that um, distorts the perception of the essence of, of who we are, which is always that groundless sense that's here. Another way of saying it is there's no problem. So you realize that, that who you are is, is, is not a problem regardless of what's arising in the world of form and the world of phenomena. 
So what the question that comes to mind is which is the cart and which the horse? Um, can you kind of consciously be fully in the flow of life and, and that will awaken the, the, found, the underlying foundation of silence and stillness? Or do you have to somehow access that, that silent foundation in order to meaningfully be fully in the flow of life? Or I somehow the two come together hand in hand to, and grow to whatever extent they grow uh, simultaneously? It's, an inter it's, it's a good question. I think you can come to it either way. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting is the consciousness of the awakened state. In other words, being aware that you're aware. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, um, I, always, I like Eckhart Tolle's story a lot. So for those who don't know, he had this incredible um, awakening opening in the middle of the night. And, um, but he didn't have any kind of religious or spiritual or any sort of, never any books on it or never had any, you know, had any cognitive understanding of it. So he didn't know that, he didn't know what happened to him. And um, I always like the story of where he's, he's reading the Bible and it says, um, he reads the passage, the peace that passeth all understanding. And it hits him, oh, well, that's me. <laughs> because I have peace, I don't understand it. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I think that, that there's, this, um, there's this space where you're in, that, you're in that flow and then it's the recognition of being in it that is a shift, shifting point. Mm. If. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, and I would just suggest that there are many ways of culturing or eliciting that. You know, there are practices that are very effective. There are non-practices that may happen. You might be like Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie and just wake up one morning and voila. Uh, although those seem to be the exception to the rule. Um, usually, most people that I know of anyway, that I've spoken to on this show and that I've encountered in my life, have had some sort of period of practice or discipline mm -hmm. or you know search uh, which has borne fruit. Well, what I think is really important for people to realize is I would call it integration. Mm -hmm. So you can have this awakening and it's kind of like when, when I see people in this space, it's almost like they're walking around like wounded or stunned or they don't know what happened to them. And the, it's this, this period of embodying and integrating this into this world and I certainly that was a that was a period for me too, and I, I've seen a lot of people is, you know, you you've awakened, you you've seen something, but how do you live in this world with what you've seen? How how do you how how can you be a human being, and function in this world, as a spiritual being? Mm. And I think that's where the real juice is. That's where it gets really interesting, and that's where there's a lot to explore and to discover. And as you I was speaking to earlier, to delve into and to learn, mm -hmm. um, and it can be it can be an ongoing. Um, Learning adventure. Yeah, in my experience, it's um, it's like kind of walking up a flight of stairs. First, you take a step with your left foot, and then your right foot, then your left foot, then your right foot. And what I mean by that is there has been a, a continual clarity, a clar clarification of the cognition of the absolute, but then a continual integration of that into the relative. So it's not like all of a sudden one day, 100% absolute. It's not going to get any clearer. You know, perfect perfectly clear, pure, unbounded consciousness and, and nothing can be improved in that arena. Um, but uh, And now I've got to integrate it. It's been more like, 
a glimpse of that integration, a, a clearer glimpse of that integration, and, until eventually, you know, both are quite, quite full. But others might, maybe it's different for other people, you know. I, I'd like to ask Eckert if I get a chance to interview him, um, you know, whether he feels that his experience of the self or pure consciousness that dawned that morning after asking the question, you know, are there two of me? Right. Uh, whether that in and of itself has actually gotten clearer over the years or whether it's just the integration that has taken place and that has remained essentially the same as it was that morning. To me, it would be the integration. I mean, to me, the absolute is the absolute. Mm -hmm. So it can't become any more absolute or it's not the absolute. That just seems, by definition... No, but your appreciation of it. No, I'm, sure, right, but, I'm not saying the absolute itself can, can get any more absolute-y, right. <laughs> but, but the, uh, you know, your, the clarity of your cognition of it. I, I agree. So that, that's what I'm calling the integration, exactly. Okay, it's okay. Like that, 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 takes, I, that can take time in the linear realm of time and space to... Yeah. And to when the integration it. is preliminary, it can be, even the cognition of the absolute can be kind of foggy. Mm -hmm. and, and then as the integration progresses, it gets more and more clear. So that you're saying that. Yeah, it's like the consciousness aligning itself with what with the awakening mm -hmm. um, I find that there's there's usually a not all the time but a lot of times there's a phase where um, when people awaken they, they just disconnect from from life and um, they may sit on a park bench for a while as like Artoli or just you know quit their job or leave their relationship and just kind of they don't know how to live in the world right you know and it's not sometimes it's very painful it's not always this blissed out thing um, but then that's the process of integrating this awakening so you know your consciousness aligns with awakening and you're able to live in this world so you're, the, the intention is to be in the spaces um, the world and not world are the same you know there's not the separation between the two where you're um, for me I feel like where I was in a phase before where I was trying to you know, this is the world, and I am spiritual, and I'm not in, in the world or of the world, and trying to separate myself from the world <clears throat> and the things of the world. Now it's the world is spiritual, and spiritual is the world, and they're one and the same. And fully giving myself to life is to fully um, transcend it. Of course, half the people listening will have uh, just as you were speaking, will have recalled Christ's statement being in the world, but That's not not of it. Was right on the tip of my tip of my, <laughs> my my mind. Yes. Yeah. And tongue. Huh. Well, let's pursue this a little bit more. It's, it, it, you know, people speak of awakenings as opposed mm -hmm. to just one big awakening. Sure. And referencing Adyashanti again, he he went through a series of two or three major awakenings, mm -hmm. and as I understand what he said, in each one not only was his sort of orientation to the world shifted, but even his appreciation or cognition of the self became more deep or more profound. And um, so that's kind of what I'm driving at here is that, uh, you know, when we have an awakening, it's like, you know, a hologram, for instance. Uh, maybe this is a good analogy. A, a whole, you know how a hologram works. You have a piece of film, and it's been exposed in a certain way using a laser such that if you shine a laser through it again, mm -hmm. you, s you get a projection of the object that, that was being filmed. And mm -hmm. then you can cut the hologram in half and take the film and shine a laser through it, and you still get the same object. Uh, but there's not as, quite as much 
resolution, you know, and you could cut it in half again. Same object, not as much resolution. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the self is recognized, um, it's like maybe like seeing a tree in the fog. You know, it's a tree and not a horse. But uh, but there can be greater clarity of that recognition, mm -hmm. and and who knows the what the limits of that clarity might be. Uh, and then in addition to that clarity, there's a whole thing you're referring to of the uh, integration of, of that cognition with your life as a human being. <laughs> and, uh, and again, there's no end to the, the exploration of that. I think that, um, so the way I'm defining awakening here is, again, it's, that way, it's not a thought or feeling, or it's not even an experience in the sense of you can label or define it. Right. Of course, we poetically we do it all the time, but it's not actually what we're actually, you know, it's not actually the truth. So, um, so that, so there's that, you know, there's this awakening, and then you may have a whole series of beliefs and ideas about life and your relationships and your work, and and it may blow that out of the water, and you and you and it's almost like you it really is like you've been like like hit with like a you know a rocket or something. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. you have to like almost like recover or heal from it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and be formed anew. When you heal, you're, you become something new than you were before. So your, your mind is trying to, because that's what the mind does, it's trying to grapple with it, it's trying to find some kind of um, new balance of, of this opening that's, that's happened. And so I feel like that's the process of your, your, your way of seeing the world, because as long as there's a world, there's a way of seeing it. So... Um, is is evolves to align, and it's still there's still barriers and parameters. Anything that's if it's a, if there's a thing or if there's things, there's barriers and parameters. But this there's this light that's shining and informing it now that's infinite that has mm -hmm. no boundaries, no limits or parameters. Yeah, very nice. Maybe that's what you refer to as the big glow. You wrote a that's big, right. called the big glow. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um. Let's talk about your books a little bit. You, you wrote The Wow of Now and The Big Glow, and uh, your, your website has uh, this sort of Big Glow logo on, big on top Big Glowy of Energy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, why did you come up with that term? Just because of what we were just saying, or was there more to it? Um, it's a poetic term. I mean, you, you did define it very well, you know, recognizing the, the, the light within oneself, whereas before that, we're searching for fulfillment outside ourselves in some whatever we think is going to give it to us, you know, a, a relationship or amount of money or a car or a, a job or whatever it is. There's this recognition that it shifts to we are that. I am that. I am that fulfillment. And then it's just this great spiritual liberation. Mm -hmm. And um, and then so the the book is um, um, intention of expressing that 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 truth as well as the wild and the now and um, I think one of the differences between the way I'm sharing it as opposed to some of the people is there's a, there's a certain playfulness and fun and, and lightness at times with also um, depth as well. And so that's the intention of, um, of the books as well. Is there a literal um, quality of glow in your experience or is that metaphorical, just, just metaphorical? There is a light that you can feel radiant. I was with somebody 
um, talking to somebody the other day, and there was this profound shift in them. And all of a sudden, it was just, you know, they were just quiet and they're smiling, but this is incredible light just, you know, emanating, radiating from them. And um, yeah, I think that there that, that that there there is that that quality that that can be there, but but uh, you know, it's worth saying that that's not the main point. You know, it, it, it's uh, it's it's something that's deeper than, um, for example, someone could could have the flu and it could still be there. The, the the awakening of that realization can still be there. So it goes beyond whatever the physical is going to in a particular moment. But generally speaking, yes, you can definitely see that at times with people. The, this this more light, this radiance that's coming from their mm-hmm. emanating from their physicality. Yeah, and um, along the lines of integrating that. Full it more, more and more fully into the relative world. Uh, I've heard it said that, you know, a time comes when everything one perceives is um, radiating that sort of glow. There's a mm. sort of a kind of a celestial radiance to even the most common objects that is sort of, you know, their their essential spiritual value is sort of shining forth through them, even if it's a rock, and and if one has the eyes to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I feel like I like to play the term light and light. So light as the light, like light from the sun, and light as lighter, as less weight. You know, so the, the more we wake in our consciousness, the, the lighter we are because we're not we're not as heavy and dense in thought. Mm-hmm. And so there's more light that can shine through in everything that we're seeing because we're not seeing it so heavy with description and categorization and labels and all this heaviness of of the mind. And so that's where that the light of the moment is able to be recognized and, and seen and um, reflected without any um, division or, or, or barrier or resistance. Yeah. I think it might even be more than just um, freedom from conceptual baggage. It's like, can you remember a time when you were a lot younger when uh, you might have been depressed? And let's say you're walking down the street and it's a cloudy day and everything just seems gray and dead and lifeless and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... There's this sort of flat, uh, depressing quality to everything. And now, you know, if you're walking down the street on a cloudy day, there, there's this sort of um, joy and and um, and everything seems magical and wondrous, even though it's a, perhaps the very same street that you're walking down. Uh, so, and I think it's maybe not not just because you're you're not busy conceptualizing, but your whole perceptual apparatus has evolved. Yeah, and for me, this this is what I talk about being in the moment, being in the now, because mm-hmm. that magic is there, but we don't see it. So right. we're basically thinking about, oh, my life is terrible, and this happened last week, and what happens? What happens if I lose my job next week? Blah blah. blah. And then, and then, you know, when there's the, when that stuff dissipates, it's like, wow, look how magical these dark clouds are in front of me, and look how magical the the, the scent of rain is, and and it, it's 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 so that the realization it, it doesn't matter what the thing is, it's our presence in the moment that brings that sense of magical magic and miraculousness um, to life. It's it's us being awake to to what's here um, that 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 creates that that sense of magic and miraculousness. Yeah, so then what it comes down to is all right, well how do we accomplish that? You know, I mean if somebody's in a blue funk, if they uh, you know, if their life is burdened and pressured and, and they just feel like they've got a lot on their shoulders, how do we help that person um, shift to this more joyous way of being? 
Right. So that's where the shift of self is makes all the difference. You know, because if you're if you, if you think that you're the egoic self and the story of yourself and the story of um, ideas about yourself because of what people did to you and what they said to you before and, and you're trying to overcome it and all these different things, then um, there's a very contracted sense of of, of um, self, which which makes you, and you feel it because it's not really true. So on some level, you feel the sense of like you're not free, you're contracted, you're you know, like in a prison. Um, you're trying to break out of it, but then you know as we see over time, trying to break out of it is what maintains the illusion of the prison. And then you, there's a, there's a point where you say, I don't need to break out of it because there actually is no prison to begin with. And and that realization shifts everything. It's like another example of that is I was sitting at a table with a group of people one time and it was about relationships and having um, feeling connected, having intimate relationships and um, it was this big discussion of um, how do we how do we create the bridge? How do we bridge this gap? There's this gap and how do we bridge this gap between us? So we're sitting there and 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 this was some years ago, but something lit up in me, and I said, "Listen, guys, I have to t- I have to tell you all something that I realized. There actually is no gap. I I, I see that there's there's no gap, and actually, us trying to create a bridge is perpetuating the illusion of a gap, and it's actually creating division between us. And so I was explaining this, and and it was this." Everyone, there was like three or four of us, just lit up. You know, we're all lit up, and realizing that there, there's no gap, and this profound sense of of oneness um, was present. And so it's just this, this realization that we create in our minds: okay, there's a gap, or I'm in prison, or I'm this, and then we're trying to break out of the prison, or we're trying to bridge the gap. And at some point, we realize that the issue is us creating the idea that there's a gap, or that there's a prison. Yeah. Uh, well, that was kind of interesting. In your case, you know, you're sitting with a group of like-minded friends who are sort of spiritually inclined, and and just your saying that um, was a, a catalyst for at least three or four of them to have a, a shift mm-hmm. in perspective. Maybe yeah. not every, maybe not everybody sure. at the table. Um, well, there, that's that that was that was the table. Oh, that was the whole table. Or, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, you know, what comes to my mind is though, you know, that for most people. Uh, for everyone to some extent, there are layers and layers and layers of conditioning. Mm-hmm. And um, just and, and there are, again, rare cases like Eckhart Tolle, he's on mm-hmm. the ver- one night he's on the verge of suicide, the next morning he's awakened. Mm-hmm. There, there are examples like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sure as he has realized, it's not uh, going to be as quick and easy for everyone as it was for him. Uh, he, he can't speak to an audience of 300 people and have everyone come away with the sort of shift that he underwent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm always interested in the practicality of um, how you know the average person can break through those many layers of conditioning and really um, undergo a, a profound and permanent shift and not have it just be some conceptual toy that they start walking around quoting you know, various uh, pat phrases that without mm-hmm. any real experience to underlie it. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's it's an interesting inquiry you're bringing up because we're talking about. See, again, it depends what we're talking about. We're talking there's there's things that that take time, mm-hmm. and there's something that's not in the realm of time. 
Mm. Something that's not in the realm of time can't take time. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So whenever you awaken to it, it may be in, in five years, but it's still, of course, now. Right. Um, <laughs> and you're and you're invited to wake you're invited to wake into it any any time. Mm -hmm. And 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 um, then there's the integration of of that in your life as well. So there's still um, you know learning how to um, function in relationships and function in, in you know supporting yourself financially or whatever whatever the different aspects of being a human being are. But this recognition of self beyond time and space um, can't take any time or space or else it's not what it is. Right. Uh, but again, obviously it's not something that everyone just awakens to or recognizes just like that. Even people who want to recognize it, you know, even people who are spiritual seekers, uh, they, don't, they don't all just sort of recognize it the moment they become spiritual seekers. They recognize something but um, you know, usually for most people, there's a period of years before there may be a, a kind of a profound recognition that um, is night and day difference. I I agree, um, but also, to me, the wanting to recognize it becomes seen as unnecessary. There's no it. There's nothing outside yourself to recognize. So there's no it. And this is one of the big things I see in the non-dual community is this whole talk about it. It's like this and it's like that and this uh -huh. is how you get it and this is how you find it. And it's like, you know, it is a conceptualization in the mind that's being created and then there's the projection of trying to get to the conceptualization that you created in your own mind. So it's like you're, you're, it's like you're a dog chasing your own tail and you created the whole game yourself. And at some point, maybe, um, there's the realization that I don't need to play this game anymore. Yeah. Well, but wanting to recognize it doesn't necessarily imply that it is outside. One might know full well that it is an inner recognition, but not yet have had it. Like when you started seeking when you were around 20, uh, right. it didn't take you too long before you realized that there was this spiritual dimension and yeah. you know, kingdom of heaven is yeah. within and all that stuff. But it took quite some time before that became an experiential reality for you and not just something you're reading in books. Could, you have, could it have happened on day one when you were 20, the moment you began seeking? I suppose theoretically, but um, you know, practically speaking, is, is that really... You see that as likely, but, but what I'm but what I'm saying from the from the perspective that I'm at now is that there really is no it, and it's a really important thing for, for people to understand. And I feel um, well, it's not an object. You're saying it's not an object. Correct. It's not an object. So this is it. Whatever this is, is it. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling sad right now, this is it. You know, if you're feeling happy right now, this is it. If you're feeling like you're, um, you know, you want to go down to the grocery store, this is it. It's it, it's it's very. It can be very simple, mundane. You know, it's not this this idea. Whatever you think it is, it's not. It's not what it is. There is no it. Life <laughs> is it. You are it. This is it. Yeah, but you were saying before that uh, you know your life is now lived on a, a, a platform of contentment and of fulfillment. There's a sort of sense of 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 not, of not having a sense of lack. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say an absence yeah. of lack, mm -hmm. um, and. But if for a person whose life doesn't flow that way, uh, then you know you and you and that person to be in the same grocery store, so to speak, mm -hmm. shopping, 
Yeah. Right? You're, you're both having very different experiences because right. you're, you're kind of flowing along in the state of contentment. And the other person is thinking, oh, can I really afford these vegetables? And uh, I'll, mm-hmm. why, don't I, why don't I have a better job? There's a sort of a lack of fulfillment uh, that is a perpetuum for them. Right. Uh, so, you know, you and I, as people who are interested in spiritual stuff and, you know, interested in, in helping others to wake up, the, the practical question for us is, um, you know, what, what can we offer people that's not just going to be intellectual pablum, but is actually going to affect the kind of shift that will enable them to live on the, the, the foundation of fulfillment that, that you know, that you're, you're referring to? Yeah, well, a couple things. I mean, the most <clears throat> every person's different, so every situation is different with every, where everyone's at with what they're experiencing. The most important thing of all, and this may seem like trite, like people have heard this before, but it's important to really speak to, is to live from this place yourself. That's to what? the most to live from this place yourself. Uh-huh. That's the most profound way to make a change in the world, and really, it's the only way to make a change in the world. So. Um, you know, people are, are really interested in sometimes like pointing the finger at everybody else and trying to, you know, what's wrong with everybody else, and and you know, to kind of point to to redirect your attention back to oneself and realizing that if there is a sense of oneness and if we are part of the world and we're part of human consciousness, mm-hmm. then what we're looking at in other people is is a part of our own consciousness, mm-hmm. and so um, to really dedicate ourselves to to um, being in this moment and showing up in this moment from this space um, of awakened consciousness is the greatest way to change the world. And, and then, from this space, whoever sees that or recognizes that or whatever, they, they know what to take from it or what to get from it um, based on where they're at in their journey or their search or their, their space um, in their life. And so um, that's that's the most important thing, or else it becomes just an intellectual, you know, discussion that you're having with, with some or a theoretical discussion. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, you, but what you just said was, you know, what's important is to live from this place yourself and mm-hmm. to operate from a space of awakened consciousness. And yeah. so for the person who is listening to this, who's mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, that sounds all well and good, but I'm not living from a space of awakened consciousness. How mm-hmm. do I get to that space of awakened consciousness? I'd like to live from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you offer co- life coaching and sure. spiritual retreats and all kinds sure. of things. So, you know, what practical method other than just talking to people, uh, which may in itself be a practical method, do you, do you offer so that people can live from that space of awakened consciousness or can at least kind of move in the direction of, of living in that way. So, so there's so again, there's two out. There's two aspects. There's there's awakening to the essence of who you are beyond time and space, and then there's there's the realm within time and space. So, the realm within time and space, you can get better at different things, and I'm and I'm and I do assist people in that as well. I, I can I can show you how to get, you know, um, um, healthier with your body. You know, eating better and exercising better, and um, um, show you how to uh, live. Um, do work that you felt passionate about and that you love and to move towards that. So these things have steps and they take time and there's um, they happen in increments. Yeah, and if you were a violin master, you could give violin lessons exactly. to help people get better at that and so on. Exactly. So now the fun part <laughs> is <laughs> how do you awaken somebody to the realm without beyond time and space? Exactly. Because it, the... it, it, it doesn't take time. So it's, it's, it's sort of the opposite. It's like 
pointing, continually putting someone back to, you're not going to get there. There's no there that you're going to get to in this realm. It's, it's here now, so continually bringing people back to the now um, and, and back to what's here and now and to recognize that the essence of who they are is here and now and, and creating the, the invitation to awaken to now uh, and the wholeness of now, which is the essence of, of who one is. That's the short answer to the, to the question. Okay. And so how do you do that? You, you have, do it. You're, you're, you're given a retreat. You have 20, 30 people there, Every, and, you, and you want them to awaken to the essence of who they are. What do you do? What do you do with those become, Everything becomes paradoxical because the how is the problem. Mm-hmm. The how, and, and that's not even a problem. It, 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 it becomes like, a, it, you know, it goes, you go deeper and deeper in this thing, and every, every ladder that someone's trying to create with their ego um, is to be seen, is to be seen for what it is, and, 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 and not to take the illusion that if you climb the ladder, you're going you're gonna to get somewhere. So it's really seeing the story of who you think you are and realizing that it's just a story and realizing that the essence of who you are is not contained by a story, is not contained by ego identity. And the story of who you are is also, I think, is another a misperception I see a lot of times in the non-dual community. The story is not a problem. It's not something you have to get rid of. If you have to get rid of it, that means that it must, you must think it's real. Um, and if you think, it, and, and the, um, the, the ego is not a problem. If you think you need to get rid of it, you must think it's real. It's just seeing it for what it is and seeing that anything that has structure in the world of form comes and goes and is not the essence of who we are. I forget who said it. Somebody said, you know, there's nothing wrong with building castles in the air. That's where they belong. Now just build a foundation under them. You know who said that? Who was that? I don't know. I don't know. You said it. Yeah, I'm (laughs) quoting somebody. Um, So what you're saying then is that just by having a discussion with people and pointing out to them, you know, help uh, helping them recognize that the conceptual notion of who they are is not fundamental enough can actually bring about a shift or help facilitate a shift to a deeper recognition. Is well, I think fair, fair to say? Yes, but there's more. I think that in, if it's a teacher-student relationship, the most important thing would be what I would call presence, mm-hmm. you know, beyond the words. Like, to bring up Eckhart Tolle again, like, I, I would listen to him for 90, you know, 90 minutes or so, two hours, you know, these kind of YouTube things that are on there nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I listen and I think, you know, I feel different. I feel more present. I feel like I'm in the now. Yeah. And... I don't feel like he said anything. I don't know what he, he talked for like 90 minutes, but he didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get any, my mind didn't get anything from it, which yeah. is actually which is actually his genius and his brilliance. You know, so it's it's this way. Yeah, of, his voice is like a mantra. You just sort of listen to him, and it, it kind of shifts you and settles you down into a, into a, into know, being here, into an attunement with with yeah. where he's at. Yeah. But if the mind can grab something and take something from it, then that's not that's not the intention. Yeah. So it's it's the sense of being able to yeah to talk, but not to not to give the mind um, uh, things to grab onto and, and, and cling to, but to more to, to bring the mind to to open, to really um, fully being here now. And so through discussion, yes, but it can also be, be being silent together. You know, meditate meditation together. The breath is a great way to um, bring one to the present moment. So there's different um, pointers and different things that we can we can point to, um, but they're all 
pointing to being here now, being fully present here and now, and recognizing and realizing the essence of who we are. And as you said, which I really like the term as well, being anchored, being anchored in, in that which is unchanging, which allows you to fully play in that which is changing. Because now there's a sense of fearlessness that you bring to the changing world of form. Yeah. Okay, good. So then as a teacher, you offer a number of tools, meditation, breath, talk, you know, maybe half a dozen other things right. that, that um, can all be effective in, in helping people come more into alignment and, you know, establish that anchor. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's, again, it's a paradox because it's not thinking that those tools are going to help you to get there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awakening to that it's here. So yeah. it's, this, it's this paradoxical thing that, that you know, both truths at the same time. Yep. It's like I, I like to use the analogy of uh, the sun and clouds and, and wind. Somebody criticized me for this the other day for one of the interviews. That, uh, but, you know, the sun is always shining. But let's mm -hmm. say there's a lot of clouds, and so you, know, you don't see the sun. And uh, So wind could be an effective tool for helping to move the clouds. And then once the clouds are moved, you see the sun. But you realize it's not just you see the sun. You realize, oh, I am the sun, and I've always been shining. Mm -hmm. You know, It didn't matter whether there were clouds or mm -hmm. not. So that's kind of paradoxical, but it somehow relates. So in a sense, uh, you know, techniques and practices and all from the perspective of realizations seem superfluous. They seem... Unnecessary, exactly. you know, right. but but from the perspective of not having had that realization, they can be effective. You know, it takes a thorn to remove a thorn. You know, if you're coming out of a big mud puddle, maybe you have to take some steps in the mud before you reach the edge of the mud and you're out of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with, with the sun, it's like it's like the, the the intention would be to recognize that the sun is there regardless of whether there's dark clouds, clouds or yeah, exactly yeah. whatever kind of cloudscape you're having, that the sun is there. Yeah, but you know the average person's experience is, let's say the average person who has read and studied some of this mm -hmm. stuff uh, but has not really had a, a full realization, they're probably thinking, yeah, I know the sun is there, mm -hmm. but for me, for me it's somewhat cloudy. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of get a, an inkling of it, a glimpse of it, sometimes more clear, sometimes less clear, but I naturally want it to be really clear. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm always kind of interested in what can be offered to that person mm -hmm. to to facilitate that clarity mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of what you're doing i mean yeah. you know, you're saying on the one hand yeah, don't worry about it the sun's always shining brightly but mm -hmm. also here's some here's some tools to help you appreciate that more mm -hmm. in a more living way so the question to me is how do you bring someone back to the truth that the sun is there right now and how do you bring them back to it over and over and over and over until it clicks in and and and, and there's that shift that yes yeah, it's yeah. here right now. Exactly, that's and, what I'm saying. And, yeah, so so um, it's it's a sense of um, the mind. The, the the world of form is is can be very alluring, and the world of creating a story for yourself can be very alluring. So it's easy to, you know, this is interesting, or that's you know, I'm going to cling to that, or I don't want this, but I do want this, and you know, this whole wheel of samsara that, that you know the Buddha talked about, and so to have something or someone or, or multiple things that continually bring you back to the essence of the truth that's here and now um, that's 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 the that's the value that's the, you know this this invaluable um, pointer that we're talking about yeah and it is kind of sticky I mean you know it's it, uh, it may seem absurd to have to be brought back uh, again and again to something that's already there but uh, there is that sort of in India, they have this analogy where if you want to dye a white cloth uh, 
ochre or some co some mm -hmm. color, mm -hmm. you dip it in the dye, mm -hmm. and then you bleach it in the sun, and it, it loses its color in the sun, mm -hmm. most of it. But then you dip it again, and you bleach it again, and it loses the color, but not quite as much this time. And you keep that, repeating that process until it doesn't matter. You can leave it in the bright sunlight all the time, and it stays mm -hmm. fully colored as much so as if it were in the dye. So this this the point you made of bringing people back to that again and again, mm -hmm. it 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 gets uh, you know more and more infused and a time comes when it's fully lived regardless of you know there's no coming back to it anymore there's no back and forth that's over mm -hmm. yeah it's like uh it's like you know this is the essence of who we all are and then it's like for the mind the, the cognitive mind and the, and the consciousness to align with the essence we are and to and to um as you said to live from this from this place mm -hmm. yeah and of course, the, you know, there have been, throughout thousands of years, there have been so many cultures that have dedicated themselves to this or ha held this as their most important priority, even though it, you know, it always gets forgotten and muddled and messed up. But you know, every, probably every major religion was founded on this very point of you know, recognizing this. And then, of course, you end up with all kinds of silly nonsense after a couple thousand years. Uh, you know, all, the great, all the great spiritual teachers, this is all what they're talking about. I agree, and 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 um, the essence of the great spirit teachings is what what would be called they were mystics, you know. There was yeah, a yeah. sense of direct communion in the here and now with with the infinite, and then um, people who came after didn't have that same recognition. So then there was all sorts of commandments and laws and all these things to you yeah. know, and, and and the essence that's here and now. Um, let's, let's kill the mystics because they're right. off they're off the program. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good point. <clears throat> so, how do you see your your teaching as uh, your as a, your function as a teacher, uh, as a facilitator? How has that evolved over the last uh, however however many years you've been trying to do it full time? Um, it's definitely evolved, and um, I think you know what I'm talking about today is is definitely been an evolution. So. The sense of the recognition, the essence of, of who one is beyond time and space, and the realm within time and space, um, the linear realm, and really addressing both those areas. I think that that's that's been a big evolution in what I'm teaching and sharing now. Um, I would give uh, someone I haven't mentioned yet, actually, who I who I has been important to me is um, Ken Wilber and the Integral um, Integral Life Practice, which yeah. I think is a great book, and so um, that's that's been an important. Um, part of the evolution of what I'm sharing and teaching. When you first contacted me, um, <laughs> you uh, you said, uh, "How did you say here?" Some things about the non-dual community that. that yeah, yeah. He said uh, you have some criticisms of what currently currently passes as the non-dual community, which I uh, feel your show can have great. Uh, we could, we can have a discussion about that. And I'm sometimes like criticized for picking on the non-dual community too much. <laughs> it's like I have some kind of axe to grind, and, and you know, uh, and it's not like I'm have any kind of objection. I think non-duality is the ultimate reality. It's, uh, it's me too. It's the cat's meow. But uh -huh. uh, but the way it's sometimes interpreted and presented, I I have an issue with. So w what were you alluding to when you said that to me? Yeah. Well, we touched on quite a few of it already. But mm -hmm. one one thing that, that that really you know is this whole thing of it. You know, it's this is it, and this is it, and this is what's it, and this whole discussion of it. Mm -hmm. And really, that's first of all that. 
it's not that's dualistic. You're creating an it that's separate from yourself, which is an idea, and you're trying to maintain this idea like a trophy that you can hold up and, and show to everybody. And and that's not the real that's not the reality. That's not the realization of non-dual is no separation is is not to and is is the recognition of that which is here and now, which is not in the conceptualization of an idea or a story or a or a or a, a hero that achieves whatever he achieves or she achieves. Um, uh, so that's one. There was something else that was in my mind that just um, slipped my mind. And there's, there's, there's lots of things, but it's, it's just the sense of, oh, yeah, the, the, it becomes this, this big thing in the non-dual community of um, looking for that which is changes, looking for the essence. So there's been some discovery of that. And then seeing the world as separate from that that realization or that enlightenment mm -hmm. and really again that's a duality yeah it's not non-dual it's not non-dual so that's a big thing that I really see and, and this is you know I'm speaking to my own journey as well I, I went through and saw these different stages in myself um, but what I really see is that non-dual is having no separation between the spirit spiritual what's spiritual and and life or the world or form mm -hmm. and really Giving yourself fully to what's here in the moment in the world of form is that's what is at the same time perhaps the transcendence of the world of form and the changeless. Yeah, I was interviewing a guy a couple weeks ago named Choboji, and uh, he made the point that non-dual teaching traditionally is actually the final teaching. Uh, right. it's, it's not necessarily the initial teaching. Mm -hmm. And um, as I understand, and you know, the word, the whole non-duality concept comes from Vedanta. Uh, which means the end of the Veda, mm -hmm. and uh, and it doesn't mean the the whole all the Veda is knowledge. Veda means knowledge. It doesn't mean that all the Veda is useless. It just means okay, here's the final teaching. That if you've gone through all the the stages of development uh, and gotten to this stage, now this is for you. Mm -hmm. a and actually, a very it's considered a far preliminary or prior stage. This thing you just mentioned where there's a duality between absolute and relative uh, and the two are seen as distinct and separate mm -hmm. that's like kindergarten compared to the, the recognition of the to of the whole holistic totality oneness of everything that's the that's the kind of final teaching yeah and you you reminded me of something else that uh, is another thing for me is, is this is western culture that we're in this is america or wherever people are listening to this if they're in western culture it's not india and to translate Indian culture to American culture is not enlightenment. It's just culture. You know, to use Sanskrit terms and to wear different clothes and to, you know, practice different meditation in India is not self-realization. It's not enlightenment and it's not spiritual awakening. Um, spiritual awakening and self-realization transcends culture. Um, so certainly there's nothing wrong with Indian culture. Indian culture is wonderful, but it's not, it's not spiritual awakening. Um, you want, do you want to say something about that? Oh, I just can't say I, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, but I also sort of say we don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. Um, there, you know, is an ancient ancient tradition. I, I who was I listening to the other day? I think it was Kurt Johnson, or, or son, he was talking with Ken Wilber, and he was saying it's funny because in science we we think of new as good, 
but in spirituality, we seem to think of old as good, and uh, you know, and this old stuff can't be improved upon, or, or uh, you know, we can't learn anything new. We just have to stick to the old teachings. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was say, suggesting that you know, even in that field, we can respect the old teachings, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they're cut in stone. Uh, that there can be even further development now in light of our modern understanding of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm interested. I'm interested in in um, terminology and ways of speaking to things and 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 um, pointing to things and metaphors. Um, um, for this time, you know, for our time, um, for this culture, um, beyond um, dogma, beyond um, uh, superstition, just really just, you know, things that are very clear and, and, and for this, the time that we're in now. Um, and certainly we draw from the past. We draw from all the cultures of the past and, and have appreciation and respect for what's brought us to this point. But we're at this point now, you know, yeah. and, and, and moving forward from here. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because no, I mean, no. there are people who say, oh, you know, all that Eastern stuff is, you know, let's just bl- blow it off. And gurus, you don't need a guru. And no, anybody who's following a guru is sort of, you know, being silly or something. I, I just kind of, you know, if somebody doesn't want to follow, follow a guru, I respect that. If somebody does, I respect that. You know, it's sort of like every, yeah. every, every kind of uh, path has its value. And... You know, and people aren't necessarily going to always do the same thing. They might be following a guru now. Ten years from now, they're not, or vice versa. So, cool. you know. I think the main thing for me that I would like to share with the listening is, um, what if is it working for you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's working for you. Stay with it. Yeah, more power to if, you. If it's not, change it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> if you're going to church every Sunday and that's working for you, great. You know, stay with it. If there's a point where it's not working for you, then try something different. Yep, yep. One size does not fit all. Um, I totally agree with that. <clears throat> so what else should we talk about? What else should we talk about? Um, what else floats your boat, you know, that we haven't covered? Uh, you know, what, what things inspire you? What uh, topics interest you? What what people, you know, have you, do you find fascinating? I think it's what, exciting that there's, there's, I feel like there's a, speaking of what we were just speaking to, um, there, there is this great, Appreciation and respect for the teachings that have brought us to this point, and the, and the teachers that have brought us to this point, and the cultural, the cultures and traditions brought us to this point. And I also feel like there's this new wave of um, um, teachers and, and healers, and I think it's exciting. And I feel there's a sort of a different energy that's being brought forward. Um, it's a little bit, more, it's not quite as serious and dry. It's a little more playful and um, fun and and loose and and um, it's more, as we talked about before, it's, I think it's more of a recognition of, of not having, not being caught in the illusion of trying to separate yourself from the world, but really being in the world and, and, and um, living in the world fully and, and whatever that means for you, and um, recognizing the essence of yourself beyond time and space that's, that's whole here and now, and also, at the same time, Realm with, which is in time and space, which can get better and better, and continue to reach higher levels of potential and 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 growth. Um, so that's I think something exciting. That's that's and and also I think the other thing to say too there is what I see too is this new wave um, doesn't necessarily identify with any particular tradition mm-hmm. or dogma, um, but just you know truth that's beyond dogma or tradition. Yeah. 
So you're saying that traditionally spirituality had this reclusive connotation that you, you kind of had to get out of the world and, and if, you were, if you really wanted to develop spiritually. And now you can have your cake and eat it too. A, <laughs> and it's, maybe you're even implying that it's a more complete type of more, spirit. More truth, yeah, more, more yeah. true. Um, I think that there is this perception that the world um, is bad. You know, put in simple terms, the world is what causes uh, sin or illusion or whatever the different terms are. And we're seeing now that that's not the case. That um, if, there, if, there's, if, there's, if there's suffering, if we're causing suffering, it's our, it's our, um, our misperception of reality or, or, or our uh, misunderstanding of who we really are. Hmm. I heard someone, I was reading someone the other day, and they were, they were saying, you know what? It, it, there's a there's a phase at which maybe you do have to step back from the world because if you're so caught up and conditioned in it, uh, it might be hard to break that conditioning. It's sort of like if you want to give up, if you if you have an alcoholic addic alcohol addiction and you want to give it up, don't hang out in bars, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you, you need to sort of step away from that. Um, but you know, eventually you might reach the point at which you can associate with alcoholics in order to help them. You can be in that milieu and. Uh, and not be tempted by it, or you know, fall prey to it, its temptation. Um, so, you know, like we're saying, you know, whatever works for you. It, it, there, there might be a validity to the stage of, of being more reclusive, more withdrawn from active engagement. But then, eventually, you, you've got to turn that around and and learn to integrate the the silence with the activity if if you really want to come right. complete package. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit of a so that's let me clarify something there. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't slow down or you shouldn't take time for yourself or you Do shouldn't you know, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 a separate yeah. That's a separate thing which is can be great for whatever phase you're at. But in fact I think generally speaking, people in America are, you know, slowing down would be a good thing <laughs> for yeah. for most Americans. Um yeah, I mean, you, you, you read the statistics on how much caffeine people consume mm -hmm. just to kind of keep up the rat race. It's frightening. Then there's the idea that the world of form is a problem or is, or is bad or, or really engaging in life or engaging in um, sensuality or sexuality or just the, just the, the, the fullness of, of life is, um, is a barrier to something. And um, and the realization I think is that it's not the world. The world of form is not a barrier to anything. The world of form is just the world of form. And if something's appearing in front of you, um, you know, appreciating it as a reflection of the essence of the one, whatever it is. So then it becomes really embracing all the parts of yourself, you know, and and not thinking that this part is holy, but this part is not holy, or um, this part is enlightened, but this part is is ignorant. Um, that itself is the essence of. If there is an ignorance, then that that is the essence of the ignorance. Is, is is this this creation of duality and separation that that God is not everywhere at all times. Mm. There's an old Stephen Wright joke which I used to tell in these interviews, but I haven't told it for a couple of years. But <laughs> it's a, it says I broke up with my girlfriend because I wasn't really into meditation and she really wasn't into being alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool. So, um, if people want to get in touch with you, or um, you know, what what might you be able to offer them uh, by way of 
you know, some kind of spiritual teaching or counseling or retreats or whatever you do. Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of offerings that I have right now. So there's the, the two books, um, The Big Glow and The Wow, The Now. Um, there's some audio uh, courses as well, which are available through um, my website. Um, there's retreats. There's um, locally in Asheville, there's a, I've been doing a, a weekly uh, meeting Monday nights called uh, Awakening to Power. Is the, the working title right now, which is interesting because... Um, there's a lot going on down there. There's you and Mentino and yeah. uh, and uh, Prajna. Prajna. Yeah. And they're all my friends, and we're yeah. all. That's what I'm saying. Like we're all this kind of kind of new wave of uh, kind of a little bit more youthful energy coming. Yeah. Going forward, so it's great to be friends with those guys. Yeah. And girls. Um, so waking to power is interesting because um, I think that's another thing is that there's this there's this kind of in the community this kind of shyness of being empowered or, you know, the, the whole non, no, um, no doer sort of thing. And, um, so a friend of mine was saying, um, when I first mentioned the term to her, she said, well, hmm, she said, hmm, I have trouble with the word power. And I said, well, that's the point. That's why, <laughs> that's why I called it that. Um, so power, not in the sense of trying to control people or manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Um, power in the sense, Eckhart Tolle would use the term power of now. Of when yeah. you're, you know, when you're here, you're aligned with that, which is the, the energy and currency that runs through all beings and all things at all times when you, when you when you realize that you're not don't need to be in resistance to and now but fully say yes to it um, so anyway so retreats um, uh, hey, just weekly. on the note of power I mean, there's a lot of power in the sun you know yes uh, the, that's the big glow so, exactly. so power doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation it doesn't mean sort of no not at all right right and I think that the more that we awaken to um, Speaking of Bantino, he, he said a phrase recently, you're infinitely worthy. Mm. You know, and the more that we, that we recognize that, then power doesn't become a bad thing. It just becomes natural that, yeah, you know, we're a part of this power that, that runs through all of life. Um, so anyway, just to finish up the offerings here, so there's a, there's a new online video program um, that I created with a couple other um, friends of mine called Panic to Freedom. Which is um, called what? Panic to freedom. Panic to freedom. Okay. Yeah. So this is um, for people that are dealing with anxiety or, or um, panic, and four principles to move into that space um, as an online video course. Then there's a uh, personal coaching that I do with um, people as well, and uh, I think that's that covers most of it. Huh. Do you do this full time? Yes. Nice. You able to manage it? So far, so, so far. good. So far. <laughs> good. Yeah. Okay, well, we need more people doing this full time. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes people say, eh, what? People are always too quick to go out and start teaching. Why don't they just get a job? Why do why, why they have to be a teacher? Um, but I think as long as there's an honest acknowledgement that, you know, hey, I don't have necessarily all the answers, but I do have something of value to offer here, and I want to dedicate my energies to offering it. And if you find it of, of use, then great. You know, And if you don't, then find something else that's of use. As long as there's that sort of little bit of humility and uh, you know, just sense of giving more than taking, then I have no problem with the, the proliferation of teachers that seems to be taking place these days. Yeah, the, the main thing is, as I said earlier, is you know, are, are you, if whoever you are, are you benefiting from who you're working with? 
-hmm. you know, and is it, is it is it valuable for you? And to really check yourself, and 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 that's the key, you know. It's it's it's. I find that it's what I tell people when they come to the meetings with me is your level of presence is going to dictate what comes out of this tonight, to this evening, or whatever it's or whatever it is. It this it, we got to go beyond this the sense of um, entertainer and audience. You know, it's not like I'm just going to show up and let's see what you can do for me. You know, if you're fully engaged, then then you'll that's what you'll get the fruits of of what comes forward. So so being fully engaged, being present, and then um, then if you're in that space, you're gonna you're gonna learn something from the people that you're engaging with, and and just determining um, um, determining if it's still valuable for you, or if it's if it's a place to shift, or but really to take charge and empowerment for yourself. Yeah. There's a saying that you know the amount of water you draw from a reservoir depends on the size of the pipe you bring, you hook up to it. You know, you put a drinking straw, you're not going to draw too much. You put a big pipe, there'll be a lot. So it, it's not just up to the teacher to, you know, uh, well, just what you said. It, it, yeah. It's it's a it's a cooperative relationship, and and everyone is part of the game. Yeah. Hmm. Agreed. Cool. So have you covered the points of of the things that you offer uh, or? Is there anything more to say about that? I think that's it. I mean, there, there could be some specific uh, events in different places, but people can check the website for okay. that info. And the website is brianpiergrossi.com, and I'll be linking to that, so don't worry about the spelling and all. Um, there's there's a there's a simpler domain name too, which which is thebiglow.com. Oh, okay. B h e b i g g l o w dot com. Are they identical? Yes, they go to the same place. So one just forwards to the other. Yeah, two different domains. That's just a few different domains actually, but they all go to the same. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like different paths to the same truth, right? Right. Uh, okay, yeah, so the big glow redirects to Byron, Brian Piergrossi. Good. Uh, okay, great. So uh, thanks. This has been fun. It has been fun, Rick. Thanks so much. I appreciate the, the work that you're doing, and it's been my pleasure and honor to share this time with you. Yeah, me too. Say hi to all my friends down there. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Let me make a few concluding remarks. Um, You've been listening to or, or watching an interview with Brian, Brian Piergrossi, and this is a ongoing series, so every week there's a new one. If you'd like to see what other ones there are to listen to, go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, and you can subscribe to a little email notification. You'll get an email each time I post a new one. You'll also see a list down the right-hand side of all the people I've interviewed in alphabetical order, and you can pick and choose and listen to some. Uh, I'm also going to put up a page where they're listed in chronological order because some people have been asking for that. Um, there is a link there to an audio podcast if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast and listen on your iPod. And there is a discussion group that crops up around each interview. Uh, so feel free to participate in that. Usually anywhere from 100 to several hundred posts are are put up by various people during during the week, and uh, they get quite interesting sometimes. Um, there's also a donate button, which I appreciate people clicking if they have the capacity. It helps me to continue doing this, and perhaps to do it, you know, even more full time. So uh, I think that's about it. So thanks for listening or watching, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>